The power of a personal invitation can change the direction of somebody's life. I got a friend named Jack who gave his heart to Jesus at Easter a couple of years ago here at Christ the King Church. He's an amazing guy, loves to invite people. I saw him on Tuesday night and he walked up to me and he said, hey Grant, you told us about that statistic that three out of four people would come to church if somebody would just invite him. He goes, that's not true. And I, really? You don't think it's true? And he goes, I know it's not true. He said, I invited eight guys from work and every single one of them said yes. That's a pretty cool deal right there, okay? So here's the thing. When we invite, we open up a door and we just say, why don't you come and be a part of our family for a weekend? You may have no idea. They may actually give their heart to Jesus that weekend and become a permanent part of our family. So here's a couple of invitations. There's hundreds of them out in the commons. I would encourage you to grab a couple of them, pray and ask God who that He would have you give them to. And... Uh, and then come and visit with those folks here on Easter weekend. I hope that it'll be a wonderful time. I'm excited about the weekend. We've got some great stuff planned, and I hope you'll come and celebrate Easter with us next weekend. 2,000 years ago, the people of Jerusalem were freaking out. They were freaking out because Jesus had been, had been, had been working inside of the community, and were, rumors were beginning to swirl about Him because of the miracles He'd been performing and the teaching that He had been giving. And word began to spread that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, but that He was coming on a very interesting mode of transportation. For those of us who are Americans, it wouldn't have made any difference at all that Jesus was coming on a donkey, but to a good Jewish person, they would have sat up and took notice. Because the resume of Jesus was incredible, and in the back of their mind, they would have heard two ancient prophecies ringing about how the new king of Israel was going to come to Jerusalem. The prophet Zechariah, hundreds of years before, had written this historical prophecy. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Centuries before that, there was another just vague, obscure little reference all the way back in the book of Genesis that says this, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. So if you're a good Jewish kid, you know these references in the back of your mind and then you hear that Jesus, a son of David from the tribe of Judah, a man who could do miracles, was coming to Jerusalem exactly the way the prophets had said it was going to happen. And that is a really big deal. People are thinking, this is it. Finally, the Messiah is coming. He's going to show up and he's going to lead us against the tyranny of the Roman Empire and he's going to set us free and it's going to be awesome. The Bible tells us what happens in the fulfillment of these prophecies in Matthew chapter 21. The Bible says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord has need of them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those who had followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Bible says people went out to meet Jesus shouting, Hosanna, which literally means, Save us. Okay, God, we need you to save us. And they give Jesus a royal welcome because they believe this is their moment of victory. They're saying, Jesus, we're so glad you're here. You are the king. You're the one that's going to deliver us. This is awesome. Let's sing We Are the Champions. I mean, this is our moment when we get to fully enter into this. In modern terms, this is what they're saying. Jesus, here's the keys. The keys to the kingdom, the keys to the city, the keys to my life, the keys to my future. Here's the keys to everything. I need you to save us because we are not in a good spot here. You're the man, Jesus. You're the king. You've arrived. And so we're going to surrender our control of our destiny and our future. Drive on, King Jesus. This is awesome. We're behind you all the way. And in that moment, Jesus surrendered to the future that his father had for him. And now people are handing him the keys of their future. And here's the problem of Good Friday. Five days later, they were all going to take the keys back. All of them. That's a hard moment when you're a parent and you have to surrender the keys of your car to your 16-year-old kid, right? And that's just a car, right? That's a tough moment. I've gone through that moment twice with my kids, did it with my son, just did it with my daughter. It's tough to hand over control because when you hand it over, this is what you're thinking. This is my car and these are my keys and it's my insurance and it's my gas. And the thing is, you don't understand how much this mine actually means to me. See, I spent 16 plus years in my family being the designated driver in my family, okay? Not because they were wasted all the time, but because I was just a designated. <laughs> Only you guys would get that at 1145, right? Okay? But I like being the driver in my family because when I'm the driver, I get to pick the route and the speed. I get to pick the, the radio station and the temperature because I believe the driver is supreme. You don't mess with the driver, Okay? I mean, that's it. Your job is to get in my car, buckle in, and keep quiet. It's my job to drive because it's my car, my route, my way. When you have to surrender that to a 16-year-old, that is an act of faith, okay? That is a biblical moment. You don't believe me? Well, let's just watch this. I want to show you the video of a 16-year-old girl trying to park her car, okay? So she's going to try it. Now, watch the timer in the far bottom left-hand corner. Now, let's see. I'm going to try to back in. Nope, that's not going to work. Wrong angle. No, no, one more try. Okay, let's back up. Let's go nose first. That'll be better. Yeah, that's a little tight. Now, I'm going to back out. Let's go back one more time. Check the counter now. We're at three and a half minutes and counting. Pull back out. No, let's go back. Okay, one more try with the nose. That is not working either. Here comes the guy in the car behind her. Give me the keys, lady. Just give me the keys. Hand over the keys. One shot. Boom. There he is perfectly. Now keep watching, keep watching. Look, he doesn't even get a parking space. Off you go, right? Okay, just knowing that that's humanly possible scares us as parents. It scares us, right? It scares us because we like control. We like the keys. We like to be able to do it our way on our timeline because it just works better. And because of that control fact, here's our reality today. We aren't much different than those people that were there on the very first Palm Sunday. 
Because this is kind of the way it goes, right? Here's the keys, Jesus. They're all yours. Go ahead. You can have them. You know, we hear about a king, and he's riding into town, and he's going to save us. He's been doing miracles, and so we offer him the keys of our life. Here you go, Jesus. Just take them. And then he reaches for them, and it's like, just hold on one second, okay? Because here's what I really want. I want you to come in and fix this part of my life because it's a little broken. I need you to come in and tweak my marriage just a little bit. I need you to come in and do your God thing. I mean, I'm so glad to have you in my car, but, but now that I'm thinking about it, I just want to remind you of something. You can have the keys, but it's still my car. In fact, I want to remind you, they're actually my keys. In fact, now that I think about it, I love you in the car. That's really, really cool. So why don't we go with that? Why don't you just ride along with me? And I'll stay here in the driver's seat, and, and you can give me directions when I ask. You can sing me a song when I get bored. I want you in the car, but this is what I really want. I want you to leave the driving to me. We don't like being in the passenger seat, do we? You know, I rode in the passenger seat last week. There's no control in the passenger seat, right? And everything either seems to go too fast or too slow in the passenger seat. You're either too close to the edge of the road or too far from the edge of the road, It's a difficult place to be in. When you're used to driving, it just doesn't seem right. So here's the challenging question for all of us on this Palm Sunday. As we do this again, as we get ready for Easter again, my question is this. Have you handed over full control? Whether you're new to this, whether you are a veteran, can you honestly say that you've fully surrendered the keys and the direction of your life, or is it just another one of those times when you kind of slid them across, and then as soon as you reached for them, it's like, ah, I don't know about that. On Palm Sunday, Jesus handed his father the keys. Like every other day before, he fully submitted himself to the Father's plan. We need to understand the strategic nature of Palm Sunday. This was the beginning of the plan to save the world. Jesus moved over. He humbled himself, let the Father have full control. He surrendered his will, and he would continue to do it over and over and over again through Holy Week as he lived out his his purpose in God's perfect will. And Jesus teaches us a tough truth by example here. Let me tell you what the truth is. You might want to write this down. The only way for a person to come to God is through surrender. We'd like to think there's other ways, but the only way for a person to come to God is through surrender. Scripture says this, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. The seed has to surrender to actually being planted. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself. That means surrender. Got to surrender yourself, take up your cross every single day, which means surrender is perpetual. Take up their cross and follow me. Jesus presses in further. Whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You're going to have to surrender your life. He goes on, what good is it if a man gains the whole world but loses his own soul? All through Scripture, Jesus keeps teaching The only way to really get this thing done is to fully and completely surrender. Now, don't freak out by misunderstanding the word surrender. Because when we picture surrender, we picture waving a white flag, being taken over by an enemy, and becoming a prisoner of war. It's not the way surrender works in God's world. In God's world, when we wave the white flag... 
we don't lose, we actually gain. Because God's not our enemy. Not in that moment of salvation. In fact, God comes to us. He moves towards us. And He doesn't make us prisoners of war. Instead, He draws us into His family. He makes us prince and princes of the Most High God. Royalty in that moment. We mistakenly believe that when we surrender, we lose. In God's economy, it actually works exactly the opposite. When we surrender, we win. Let me put this in your outline. When we surrender to God, we gain everything that matters. When we yield, when we let go, when we obey, when we surrender, God brings about a victory that can't be had any other way. But I'm going to tell you something that is not a popular message. Not to, not to be all you can be kind of people like we are, right? We like those kind of messages. We like the be all you can be. We like the seven easy steps to pain-free living. We like the, we like the God loves you and, and God has a wonderful plan for your life. Let's slap each other a spiritual high five. We like those kinds of messages. Here's what we don't like. We don't like it when God has the audacity to show up in our life the week of Easter and say, you're going to have to surrender. Not most, but all. That's why we sing that song that way, right? I surrender most. I surrender most. Except for my calendar and my wallet. Jesus, you touch those, you'll lose your hand. Right? We don't like it when God shows up and says, look, here's the bottom line. I love you like crazy, but you're sinful and stubborn. You're self-driven, self-motivated, self-serving, and self-promoting. And, and the hard thing is, you know, you can't even really be honest about how broken you are because you're blinded by your own deception, and there's only one way we're going to be able to fix that, and that's that you're going to have to take a knee. You're going to need to submit your heart. You're going to need to step down, not step up. You're going to need to confess your sin and ask for forgiveness. You're going to need to stand for surrender. You're going to have to stand up, wave the white flag, and say, I can't do this anymore. Do you know why I know you don't like to hear that message? Let me tell you how I know that. Because I don't like to hear that message. I don't like the thought of that. And I, I don't like having to wrap myself around the fact that the only way to get to God is to continue to surrender perpetually, day after day after day, those difficult parts of my life that I just don't want to hold on to. In fact, I find myself doing this all of the time. Jesus, here you go. I don't think so. You know, I don't like it when I take back the keys, but the reality is I do. I did it Monday. I mean, can we have an honest moment here? I did it Monday. I told Jesus to get in the back seat. In fact, if he would have gone in the trunk, I probably would have asked him to go that far back because I was done with so much on Monday. I got mad at God on Monday. If you were here last weekend, I told you that, that, that the seminary I've been going to is actually shutting down. They're ceasing operations June the 2nd, which means between now and June the 2nd, I have to finish 11 credits worth of master's work and finish a master's thesis. I did not see this coming. I did not plan on it. So I'm here on Monday night late writing book reports. I haven't written a book report since college. 
and I am frustrated, and I am angry. It's late. I want to go home. I haven't eaten. I haven't seen my kids. I haven't seen my wife. And I find myself saying this to God. What's your problem? Like, what's your problem? I'm busy. I got stuff to do. I'm trying to run a church down here. I don't have time for this. It's Easter. As if he doesn't know that, right? It's Easter. Why have you laid this deadline on my life right now? When are you going to get with the program and make my life easier? Not harder. I would ask for a show of hands if you've ever done that, but I don't want to turn you all into liars. So, um, if you heard God sigh about 9 o'clock on Monday night, that was my fault, okay? And that's why it started raining again. I'm sorry. And that's why it's snowing now, okay? So you need somebody to blame, shoot it this direction, okay? You know, some of you are just like, way to go, pastor. That's great, yeah, you know? But isn't that the way it works? Just take the keys back. I knew better, because I've done it before, and I know this is true. It doesn't work to take the keys back, but we do. You know, this is a recovery church, if you haven't figured that out already, we do 12 steps of spiritual journey here. We tell people all the time, it's okay to not be okay, Christ the King Church. It's not okay to stay not okay, but it's okay to not be okay. And We do 12 steps because that's where I learned this incredibly powerful truth. You can't will yourself to victory. You have to surrender your will. Let me say that again. You can't will yourself to victory. You have to surrender your will. So when you go through 12 steps, you come to the first step, which says this, we admitted we were powerless over our separation from God and our lives had become unmanageable. If you need a biblical background for that, Romans 7, 18, but you come to a moment when you just say, look, I tried to fix it on my own and the more I tried to fix it, the worse it seemed to get. And I just realized I was powerless to do this on my own. So we moved to step two. We came to believe a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. If you need a verse with that, Philippians 2.13. But we discover the only way to fix the mess is to surrender it to God. Here's the beautiful thing about our 12-step journey. We don't need to wonder who our higher power is. We have declared that from the outset. Our higher power is Jesus Christ. Plain and simple, period, end of discussion. And we learn something in step two that surrendering doesn't create a loss. It actually paves the way to victory. Because we realize once and for all, we can't do it. We move to step three. So we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. We actually live out Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which I talked about last week. We become living and surrendered sacrifices. We realize that God's not going to bind us up and lay us on that altar, that we've got to crawl up there on our own day after day. We have to give Jesus the keys, then move to the passenger seat. We have to surrender over and over and over again. And then we get angry and it bubbles out of our mouth and we have to surrender our tongue to God. Then we find ourselves kind of becoming apathetic and we do nothing and we have to surrender our inner sloth to God. You know, we, and we just have to keep doing it over and over and over again. We have to surrender our attitude. We have to surrender our thoughts. 
I need to take my need to please people and I got to drag it up on the altar and it's got to get killed over and over and over and over and over again. And just when I think it's dead, I walk away and it twitches a little. I got to run back and it's got to be surrendered again and again and again and again because surrender ensures victory in God's world. So here we are on Palm Sunday again. This is my ninth Palm Sunday as the senior pastor at Christ the King Church. Can't believe nine years has gone by. But here we are. Here we are. You know, and we're getting ready one more time. And we come to Palm Sunday and we're so tempted to be just like the people that were at the first one. You know, save us, God. Save us. Save us from all the stuff. Save us from everything. And then God says, okay, I'll save you. I'm going to need your keys. Really? All of them? Yep. I'm going to need the key to your house, the key to your marriage, and the key to your car, the key to your future. I'm going to need the key to your past, the key to all of your relationships, the key to that secret habit that you won't give up that you think nobody knows about. I'm going to need the key to your wallet. I'm going to need the key to the deed of trust on everything that you own. I'm going to need the key to your life. In fact, I'm going to need the key to your mind and your thoughts too. I'm going to need every single one of them all of the time. So hand them over. Not sure about that, are we? When you come to that life-defining moment, you really have three options. You can keep the wheel if you want to. But if you do, what that means is you have a rebellious heart. Because when we stay behind the wheel of our own destiny, what we're really saying is this. I think I'm smarter than God and I can pick a route better than He can. I got my own internal GPS and so I'm just going to follow it and I'm sure I'm going to arrive safely where I want to. (laughs) Tried that for more than two decades. Didn't work so well. Here's what I discovered. My inner GPS, it is recalculating all the time. You can keep the wheel, but what it means is you're a rebel. Another option is you can share the wheel, but what that means is you've got a divided heart. I mean, have you ever been in a car and had somebody in the passenger seat grab the wheel from you? That is a scary moment, right? I found myself doing that to save my daughter's life once. (laughs) You're going towards the curb. Let's turn, right? But we do that with Jesus all the time. Jesus, you're in control, you're completely driving, and so he's cruising along, and we're sitting in the passenger seat, and we reach over and grab a hold of the bottom of the wheel, and we just start turning to the right. And here's the funny thing, we think he doesn't notice, right? He's looking at us going, are you kidding me? You think I don't know that you're trying to counter steer right now? You think that I don't see your hand at the bottom of that wheel? You don't think I see your foot sliding over towards that brake? Really? If you share the wheel, you have a divided heart. And here's what I will guarantee you. When you put your hand on that wheel, Jesus will take his hands off. Because he wants all. The final option, of course, is to let go of the wheel altogether, which means you have a surrendered heart. And that's the hard place, but that's exactly where God wants us on this Palm Sunday. You know how I know that? I know that because all through Scripture, Jesus keeps dealing with people exactly the same way. He meets a lady at a well. 
who is a relational train wreck, and he says to her, you're going to need to surrender your relational world to me if we're going to get this right. A lady gets dragged in front of him who has been caught in the very act of adultery, and God ends up saying to her in a very beautiful, forgiving way, you're going to need to surrender your broken sexuality to me. Because he says, not go out and do your best. He says, I need you to go and sin no more. To the rich young ruler, he says, I'm going to need you to surrender your wallet, young man, because that's the thing that keeps you, that's the golden cord that keeps you tethered to this earthly world. To the overbearing apostle, our friend Peter, over and over, God keeps saying, you're going to need to surrender your mouth, your anger, your ego. In fact, Peter, let's just surrender it all. It'll be easier, okay? Let's just start right there. So my question to you today is, what do you need to surrender to God's control? Have you ever fully surrendered your life to Him? Where the whole key ring with nothing held back actually gets handed over completely. Do you need to hand over broken sexuality? Do you need to hand over your wallet? Do you need to hand over your life and that one part that you just don't want to share with anybody? Do you you need to hand over your marriage? Not so you take your hands off, but so actually you fully engage. What do you need to surrender? Do you need to surrender a job that actually owns you instead of the other way around? Do you need to surrender a grudge that's consumed you for decades? Do you need to surrender a habit that's actually destroying you? Do you need to surrender a hobby that was a great pastime, but now it actually distracts you from the very things that God wants you to be doing? At the end of the account of Palm Sunday, there's a tiny little question that we often miss because we kind of get caught up in the parade, don't we? It's awesome. Let's pull down some palm fronds. Let's take off our jackets. Let's throw them in front of King Jesus. Like, this is just going to be fantastic. We all get caught up in that parade moment. I never understood what Americans have, why this have the, you guys have this fascination with parades, okay? Where I grew up, we did not have parades. I showed up here in the States. You guys have a parade all the time. There's a parade in my hometown where people just hang Christmas lights on their old Ford Pinto and drive it down a street and people cheer. Like, it's the weirdest thing. You know what I'm talking about, some of you, right? The rest of you just ignore it, okay? So, I mean, but they, we kind of get caught up in the parade. There's something cool about coming and, and, and watching vehicles drive by really slowly and clapping for people that we don't know. I've never understood it, but they get caught up in that moment, right? They're so excited. And often we read the Palm Sunday passage and we miss this little beautiful little verse at the end where it says the whole city was stirred and they began to ask a question. Who's this? Who's the guy on the donkey? Why is everybody getting so fired up about this? I mean, I haven't heard anything. What's going on? What's, What's the big deal? And I'd like to ask you that question. Who is that man for you? Now, depending on where you're at today, it might be, maybe your answer is this. Who's this? Oh, this is Jesus. He's, you know, he's my buddy. He's my driving buddy. That's it. He's just along for the ride. I really like having him in my car. 
He's a great conversationalist. He likes my music. I mean, it, it's just a, we have created this phenomenal arrangement. He stays where I need him. He gives directions when I ask. It works for me. Is that really who you think the King of Glory wants to be? If you fully surrendered the keys, you actually should be answering the question this way. So, who is this? Oh, this is Jesus. He's the King. That's why He's driving. He's the Lord of my life, so I trust His direction He's my Savior, so I trust His heart. He's my everything. I fully surrendered to Him. I handed Him the keys. And the reality is, I'm along for the ride, not the other way around. You know, on Palm Sunday, Jesus was just beginning an entire week of surrender. At one point, He would surrender His body and His blood, and He would paint a picture of it with communion. If you come on Good Friday, we're going to quietly and reverently worship God. We're going to have a moment of communion. We're going to come together. We're going to remember that Jesus paid an unbelievably painful price for our salvation. I want to encourage you, don't miss that moment as a believer. To remember the cost of it, what it cost Him to surrender His will to His Father. At shadow of the cross, we're going to go to a very specific moment in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying a heartfelt prayer and saying to His Father, God, I need another way. I don't want this. I'm not sure I can do this. But not my will, but yours be done. That's surrender. Jesus surrenders. And at Easter on Good Friday, it actually looks like He loses, doesn't it? It looks like he loses on Friday, but on Sunday, surrender stands back up again, and there is absolutely no question about the fact that he was absolutely, unequivocally, and perfectly victorious.